As we go to open God's Word together, let's ask Him to bless it to us. Let us pray. Eternal Father, You have spoken in various times and in various ways to Your people in the past, but in these last days in Your Son, the Incarnate Word. We pray that You would open the mouth of Your servant to proclaim that Word in the power of the Spirit. We pray that this same Spirit will open the hearts of its hearers here assembled to receive Your Holy Gospel and write it on their hearts, Your Holy Law, even as You have promised. All of this, gracious Father, we ask in the name of Jesus Christ, our Lord. Amen. Please be seated. And please turn with me in God's Word to the book of Exodus, chapter 32. Exodus, chapter 32. On many of the Pew Bibles, you'll find that on page 92. Exodus is the second book of the Bible. And it's Exodus 32, verses 15 through 35. Um, If you're visiting with us this evening, we're glad to have you here. We've been considering our series through the Heidelberg Catechism in the evenings. And we've come to uh, the end of the Catechism. We're a little behind in the Lord's days. We're only on... Uh, Lord's Day 35, we're still trying to catch up, but um, we're considering this uh, discussion in the Catechism of the Commandments, the Ten Commandments, and we've come to the Second Commandment as we confessed from Lord's Day, um, from the Lord's Day this morning, or this afternoon, this evening, whenever we are, um, we, we confess that together uh, in Lord's Day 35, and now we want to think about where we get that confession from God's Word And we see that in Exodus chapter 32. So last week we considered the first part of the incident with the golden calf in connection with the first commandment. And this week we want to consider the second portion of this passage in connection with uh, the second. So uh, Exodus chapter 32, we're going to begin our reading at verse 15 and read through the end of the chapter. And let's pay careful attention for this is God's own word. Then Moses turned and went down from the mountain with the two tablets of the testimony in his hand, tablets that were written on both sides, on the front and on the back they were written. The tablets were the work of God, and the writing was the writing of God, engraved on the tablets. When Joshua heard the noise of the people as they shouted, he said to Moses, there is a noise of war in the camp. But he said, it is not the sound of shouting for victory or the sound of the cry of defeat but the sound of singing that I hear. And as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot, and he threw the tablets out of his hands and broke them at the foot of the mountain. He took the calf that they had made and burned it with fire and ground it to powder and scattered it on the water and made the people of Israel drink it. And Moses said to Aaron, What did this people do to you? that you have brought such a great sin upon them. And Aaron said, Let not the anger of my Lord burn hot. You know the people, that they are set on evil. For they said to me, Make us gods who shall go before us. As for this Moses, the man who brought us up out of the land of Egypt, we do not know what has become of him. So I said to them, Let any who have gold take it off. So they gave it to me, and I threw it into the fire, and out came this calf. And when Moses saw that the people had broken loose, for Aaron had let them break loose to the derision of their enemies, then Moses stood at the gate of the camp and said, Who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. And all the sons of Levi gathered around him. And he said to them, Thus says the Lord God of Israel, Put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from from gate to gate, Throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. And the sons of Levi did according to the word of Moses. 
And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, Today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The next day Moses said to the people, You have sinned a great sin. And now I will go up to the Lord. Perhaps I can make atonement for your sin. So Moses returned to the Lord and said, Alas, this people has sinned a great sin. They have made for themselves gods of gold. But now if you will forgive their sin, but if not, please blot me out of your book that you have written. But the Lord said to Moses, Whoever has sinned against me, I will blot out of my book. But now go, lead the people to the place about which I have spoken to you. Behold, my angel shall go before you. Nevertheless, in the day when I visit, I will visit their sin upon them. And the Lord sent a plague on the people because they made the calf, the one that Aaron made. Thus far, the reading of God's word, may he bless it to us. Um, This is a good text to consider both in connection with the first commandment and the second commandment. Uh, So often, these commandments sadly go together. Um, Idolatry involves making up gods that we set alongside of uh, or instead of our God and serve serve them instead of the one true God. Uh, That's what the first commandment involves. The second commandment involves making false images of God and worshiping God in ways that he has not commanded. And so the two kind of go hand in hand with one another, and you often find many of the, ta- of the commandments being broken together. Especially in these first table of the law, which relates to the duties that we owe to God, generally when we fall victim to one of them, we fall victim to all of them. Um, when we begin to make gods that we set up instead of God or alongside of God, it's only a matter of time before we start worshiping those gods, before we start abandoning the true worship of God and, and start to worship the things that we've put up before we start making images of them and, and bowing down to them. And so when we've considered the first half, we really considered Moses before the Lord when he was on the mountain with the Lord, uh, dealing with the people's sin there, and now he's coming down the mountain to deal with the sin that he finds. Um, so we could say in one sense, Moses has been on the top of the mountain doing damage control about this sin, and now he's coming down the mountain to do more damage control. He's done it before the Lord, now he's coming to do it among the people. Um, And so we want to think about this in connection with the second commandment. We see the seriousness with which God takes his worship, um, and the seriousness of the sin that has committed, the great sin that this passage refers to again and again. And so we want to think about the second commandment, think about what God teaches us here about the seriousness of his worship, about the seriousness of worshiping the true God properly. Um, And what do we see in this passage as Moses comes down the mountain to deal with the sins of the people? Well, first we are confronted with their corrupt worship. Uh, That's the first thing we see as Moses comes down the mountain. And then we see Moses issue this call for loyalty. Who is on the Lord's side? Um, So we, we see the call for loyalty. And finally, we see the covering Lord. And that's how we want to think about this passage together this evening. The corrupt worship, the call for loyalty, and the covering Lord. Uh, Moses descends the mountain with Joshua who had gone up with him. And they can hear the sin before they see it. Right? Joshua is convinced there must be a war going on because of this chaotic sound in the camp. 
And Moses knows better. He's already been told by God what's going on in the camp. And so he says, no, no, that's not the sound of them winning a battle or losing a battle. That's the sound of them carrying on with their false worship. Uh, This is the singing and the craziness that's going on. Remember we said last time that when they eat and drank and rose up to play, that's not a nice little thing that's being described there. That's the drunkenness and the, the orgy that was false worship. This is all kinds of sin going on. And the chaos of that sin is what Joshua hears before he can see it. And Moses knows what, he is, what it is before he sees it. But it's also one thing to have heard what they're doing and to hear the sound of it before they can see it. To have heard God tell him what's, what he's going to find and hear what he's going to find. But there's a difference when he finally actually sees it. When he's presented with the scene that he discovers, when he comes down the mountain and he hears this great noise going on in the camp, and then he sees what's happening, right? Verse 19, we read, and as soon as he came near the camp and saw the calf and the dancing, Moses' anger burned hot. Uh, Now, this is not a proof text for why you shouldn't dance. That's not the point of the passage. Again, this is the, the carrying on the the false worship that he's offended by. That's why his anger burns hot. It's one thing to hear what they've been up to. It's another thing to see it. To see it in all its wickedness and evil. And the first thing Moses does after seeing it is give Israel a powerful illustration of what their sin means. And he does that when he smashes the tablets that God had written before their eyes. Um, Now, we know that Moses' anger is burning hot, and we know that sometimes when anger burns hot, certain people break things. That's how they respond to anger at times. Um, I'm a baseball fan, and sometimes you'll see a guy strike out, and then he will break the bat over his knee. Or if you're Bo Jackson, you can break it over your head. Um, But now, sometimes they tell tell batters, you know, don't do that in front of people because then they know that they've gotten to you. And so sometimes what will happen is you'll see a guy get strike out and he goes right to the dugout and doesn't seem to do anything. And he goes right down the steps into the tunnel, into the clubhouse. And usually what he's going to do is break something in there. Um, and so you can hear stories of ball players say, I struck out, I was so upset. I went down the steps, I went in, and then I destroyed a sink in the bathroom. I just destroyed the sink with the bat. Um, sometimes you see them do it to water coolers. And it can be a temptation. I think that's what Moses do. He just lost it. And so he broke the nearest thing he had to break, and that was the Ten Commandments. And it, it comes across as if he's just, you know, pitching a fit a little bit. But that's not what this is about. This is not just Moses being upset and breaking something. This is a deliberate act of judgment. Um, in God's providence, we, I can use the example that we had this morning, shaking the dust off your feet, right? That wasn't about cleanliness. That was an act of judgment to show you were making a break with the place. Uh, this is what he's doing. This is a deliberate, a deliberate act of judgment because think about how carefully these tablets are described before he does this. What are we reminded of about these tablets in verses 15 and 16? These are the tablets of the testimony, The tablets that were written on both sides, front and back, God engraved them. The writing was his writing. 
By giving us that full picture of what these tablets were and what these tablets represent, it's communicating to us what's been broken. The writing that was God's. The word that was God's. That's what's being broken. The testimony of His covenant to the people. That's what's been broken. It was written on both sides. It was full and complete. It was a perfect law, and it had been destroyed. It was put in the hand of the covenant mediator to be delivered to the people. And before he can even get to them, it's been broken. And because it's been broken, he breaks the tablets. Deuteronomy tells it that he smashed them before their eyes. This is something he meant them to see him do. To illustrate the fact that they had broken the covenant with their God. Um, And then just to show what a boss he is. He marches right into the camp. Takes the calf they made. Burns it. Grinds it into powder. Throws it in the water. And makes them drink it. Uh, Moses seems to have no problem dealing with the people. Aaron had a big problem. Moses seems to have no problem. Uh, And what does he do? He's fully destroying the image of their idolatry. Someone said, you know, he turns it into a sin cocktail and makes them drink it. Um, And why does he do that? Why does he foul their drinking water with the powder of their idolatry? It's so that it can be completely destroyed. So there's no piece of it left over. So no one can chip a little piece of the golden calf and put it in their pocket and say, you know, I'm still carrying around a little piece of that God with me. He wants it obliterated. He wants it wiped from the face of the earth. Um, Because that's the attitude that we ought to have about images, false worship. It's not fit for anything but to be completely destroyed. That's the message he wants to send them about their corrupt worship. That it cannot remain in any way, shape, or form. The only relief, the only thing to be done is to destroy it. That's the seriousness with which God takes his worship. And that's something of the seriousness of his worship that's communicated to us in the Heidelberg Catechism. Uh, God's will for us is that we in no way make any image of God or worship him in any other way that's been commanded in his word. If you continue to go through Exodus, you see all these examples of what's to be built in the tabernacle, how God's people are to worship. It's very precise. And there's no instruction for a suggestion box of how God can improve your worship experience. He's not interested in our input because he knows what we do when we offer input. What we contribute to worship when we think we have something to contribute. It's always idolatry. It's always false worship. He's saving us from ourselves by the commandments he gives. He does not want us making images that we will worship. And we're distinguishing, we importantly distinguish in the catechism between images that are made as statues or decorations and images that are made of God or to be worshipped or served. 
right? May we not then make any image at all. Well, God cannot and may not be visibly portrayed in any way. Although creatures may be portrayed, you can make a statue, yet God forbids making or having such images in order to worship them or serve God through them. Um, And if we're ever tempted to say, is this really something we need to cover? Is this really such a big deal? Does this passage make it sound like it's a big deal? Does God take his worship seriously? If he does, then so ought we. And we should meditate on this passage if we're tempted to think corrupt worship is no big deal. Um, Certainly Aaron knew it was a big deal when Moses confronted him about how he could have let this happen. Um, And he does what what we often do when we're caught in sin. We try to blame shift. Right? Well, you know, between me and you, Moses, you know this kind of people. They're set on evil. And all I did was say, you want an image, I'll make it for you. And they gave me gold and I threw it in the, and just this calf came out. I mean, it's so pathetic, right? I mean, we, I heard laughter when we read it. I mean, it's, it's so pathetic. And to say their hearts are set on evil, then what does that call for from God's leader? Not less leadership, but more. Aaron let them break loose. Aaron is the one who did this. And this is a warning to people who are in leadership or seminarians who are preparing for leadership, not to let people break loose into false worship. Uh, Moses did what Aaron should have done. He took this worship in hand. Um, and he, you know, he really had overestimated the difficulty of doing the right thing. He sort of acts as if, well, you know, what can you do? Moses just showed you what you could do. I mean, he marched in and took care of it right away. No one seems to have stopped him. Um, And so all this is pointing to the fact that God takes this very seriously. His leaders should take it very seriously. should not be allowed to be corrupted. And Aaron failed to learn the lesson that we all need to learn, that we have to obey men, we have to obey God rather than men. Um, That we have to obey God when he calls us to worship. Um, And that it might cost you to do that, but you have to do it no matter what the persuasion is. That's why the last question of this Lord's Day is so important for us. Well, what if you have a really good reason for doing it? What if you come up with a really good idea for how to help people? Um, May not images be used as books for the unlearned? Could you permit them in church for that so you could teach people through the images? Um, And this answer is one of the best answers in the catechism. It's one of the great statements of the catechism. No, we must not be wiser than God. It's not because we can be. It's because we shouldn't try. We can't be wiser than God. We should never come to God and when he says, this is how I want worship to go, to come to him and say, well, I've got some thoughts. I think you haven't thought about this. Um, And, you know, that's a particular temptation in our day and age because we have a lot of things, a lot of technology that former generations didn't have, and that we could be tempted to say, shouldn't we make use of that? Um, Now, this is the, you know, this is the evening crowd, so you're the the select of the elect, I know, but um, I don't probably have to persuade you that sermons are important when you've come out in this weather to hear the word preached to you. Um, But there are people who would say, you know, can't we do better with a movie? Can't we do better with something that would appeal more to the sights and sounds of people? People these days can't listen to somebody talk for a half hour. I don't want to be generous, half hour longer. Um, We we just can't do that. You can't expect people to do that. Aren't there ways we can help people? 
And what is God always saying? I am a living God who speaks to a living people through a living messenger. That God doesn't want us to be taught, but by the lively preaching of his word, a live person speaking to you. Why is it important that God sends living people with all of their infirmities and all of their failures to speak his word? Because he's a living God who speaks and he wants his word spoken by living messengers. So they communicate there's a life to God and there's a liveliness in how he speaks. And it's better to have someone who you can look at and who's looking at you Um, who can speak that word as God speaks the word. Our God is a living, speaking God. Our religion is particularly and, and primarily a religion of the ear. To hear what he said. He knows our weakness. He's given us two visible things as well. He's given us the Lord's Supper and he's given us baptism to help us as visible signs and seals. But they still point to the word. They still require the word to explain them. That's how God wants us brought up. He wants us to do this. He wants us to be loyal to what he's called us to do. And that's why Moses, in the face of this great sin and this corrupted worship, issues this great call for loyalty. Um, if, if, you know, we must not be wiser than God is one of the great statements of the catechism, and I think it is. This is one of the great questions of the scriptures. When Moses rallies, tries to rally the people and calls out and says, who is on the Lord's side? If you're on the Lord's side, come to me. Right? It's a powerful moment in this, in this text when Moses says that. He stands at the gate of the camp and says, who is on the Lord's side? Come to me. It reminds us that that's what the call to worship is. Right? Every week we hear the call to worship, and that's what it's calling out to the world. Who is on the Lord's side? Which is why part of our worship service every Lord's Day is to say the votum, that strange word that's in there, is just the vow that people take when the Lord calls and says, who is on the Lord's side? We say, our help is in the name of the Lord, who made the heavens and the earth. We are on the Lord's side. That's what we're doing by coming. That's the call that worship is issuing. That's what Moses is trying to reset for the people. Everyone is behaving like they're not on the Lord's side. I want to know who's on the Lord's side. If you're on the Lord's side, come to me. Uh, He is reconstituting the people. He's dealing with this great sin. And what is the call to loyalty? It's a call for separation. Come out of them and come to me. That's really the call that Moses is issuing here. It's a call for separation. For them to come to him. Um, And it's an important call because the call is, who is on the Lord's side now? Um. Presumably, there may have been Levites who were running wild with everyone else. Who were engaged in the false worship. Who were dancing around the calf. Who'd had one too many in their reveling. 
but who suddenly heard Moses say, who's on the Lord's side? And he said, I'm not going to stay standing here and doing this if that's the question. You see how that's a call for separation. It's a call that says, who is on the Lord's side now? And that's part of what we issue as the call for separation in worship too. It's not saying if you've always been on the Lord's side, you may come. Right? There may have been those who were engaging in false sin. There may be those who were not really going along but not saying anything either. You know, those who are guilty of sin by their silence, just going along, really not have their heart in it but didn't want to say anything. You know, Moses does not say, whoever's free from guilt, come. What does he say? He says, who's on the Lord's side now? That's what the call for separation is. Who is now being willing to separate themselves from this false worship and come to the Lord? Uh, Who is on the Lord's side now? If you're on the Lord's side now, come to me. Rally around the Lord's servant. That's the call that comes to them. Uh, And that's important too because there is some parallel, isn't there, between what God is calling us to do in the world. Uh, Christ, as the mediator of the new covenant, goes into the world and says, the kingdom is at hand. Who is on the Lord's side? If you're on the Lord's side, come to me now. It doesn't mean you've been free from guilt your whole life. It doesn't mean you're qualified to come. It just is the question is, who is on the Lord's side now? Today is the day of salvation. Come to the Lord now. And that's what Jesus does. He sees to it that the call is proclaimed and that people hear the need to come to their God so that people come. That too is what preaching is. Call out to the world, here is our God. Who is on his side Who will come to him when he calls? And it doesn't matter who you've been before you heard the call. And it doesn't matter who you are now. The question, only question is, now are you on the Lord's side? Now are you willing to come to him when he calls? The call for loyalty is this call to separate yourself to him today. That's what the call was issued to them. Uh, That's what Jesus is saying in every generation. Are you on my side? Then come to me. Come to me in faith and repentance, and I will give you rest for your soul. It doesn't matter if you were guilty yesterday. You were. Come to me now. Show that you're on my side. The call to loyalty is a call for separation. And wonderfully, Moses' tribe rallies around him. Moses was a Levite. And the Levites rallied around when Moses called. Um, it's, It's a wonderful providence that God works here because Aaron as a Levite had led the people astray and let them break loose and Moses as a Levite comes to bring people to heal and when he calls out who's on the Lord's side it's the Levites who rally around it's the Levites who respond to the call it reminds us in the call to loyalty that not only is it a call for separation to be separated from the world and come to the Lord but that that call to come is costly Um, It's costly for them to come. They're given a very difficult assignment when they come. 
Verse 27, and he said to them, thus says the Lord, the God of Israel, put your sword on your side, each of you, and go to and fro from, the, from gate to gate throughout the camp, and each of you kill his brother and his companion and his neighbor. Um, now, I don't think this is a call to sort of indiscriminate killing. I don't think that's what Moses is saying to them. But he is saying there are still people who have not been brought to heal, and God's judgment is upon them. And you're to go and to strike them down, whether they are your brother or your companion or your neighbor. Uh, you are to do this in the Lord's name. They're called to administer the Lord's justice. This is not indiscriminate killing. Uh, they are to, to, to visit God's justice against the guilty, those who are still carrying on in the face of Moses, trying to put this rebellion against God down. And it's costly. It's a costly thing that they're called to do. Brothers, companions, neighbors. It would have been a powerful reminder to them that God is no respecter of persons when it comes to his judgment. Uh, the call to follow him is a costly call. Uh, the call to separation is still costly today. You'll be happy to know that the application of this sermon is not go put your sword on your side and go out and find a neighbor or brother to kill. Um, that's not the application. Um, but it does remind us that the call to separate ourselves to God and to do what God has called us to do is a costly call. We're not called to take up swords for phys physical battle, but we are called to take up a cross and to follow the Lord. And that taking up our cross and following the Lord is a costly call. And that might put, pit us against a brother or a companion or a neighbor. But that's what we are called to do. Our Lord reminds us in Matthew 10, whoever loves father or mother more than me is not worthy of me. Whoever loves son or daughter more than me is not worthy of me. And whoever does not take his cross and follow me is not worthy of me. Whoever finds his life will lose it. And whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. Jesus told his hearers to count the cost. Um, the Levites are called to a costly service. But we can't, be, we can't ever lose sight or forget the fact that those who are called to separate themselves, called to costly service, uh, will be rewarded. There's a reward for the faithful who respond to the call of loyalty. The Levites go and they do as they were commanded through Moses. They go and work the Lord's justice in the camp. And the sons of Levi, we're reading verse 28, did according to the word of Moses. And that day about 3,000 men of the people fell. And Moses said, today you have been ordained for the service of the Lord, each one at the cost of his son and of his brother, so that he might bestow a blessing upon you this day. The call to loyalty is a call to separation. It is a costly call. But it's a call that promises a reward. The Lord had called them to costly service and to separation. Why? So that he might bless them. The Lord purposes to bless those who are on his side. He calls them to his side to be a blessing. And what is the nature and blessing of this word? It's all of grace. They didn't deserve to be blessed by God. They hadn't earned his blessing but God promised it out of his grace. They owed God their service. 
Um, They couldn't expect to gain something as a reward for their service. They owed it to him. And yet God rewards them anyway. It shows the graciousness of our God that he crowns his own gifts with mercy, that he blesses and rewards the faithfulness, even though it's just what we owe him anyway. And he does it so that he might bless us. When we respond to that costly call, we should remember the blessing, that the Lord has called us to be a blessing to us that he rewards us out of grace for the service. Some of those rewards, like the Levites, will experience or experienced in this life. For the greatest of our rewards for following him, we'll have to wait for the life to come. But God will not fail to reward those who serve him. And no matter what we give up to gain the Lord's service, the Lord's blessing, we will find that it was worth whatever we had to give up to get it. That whatever it cost, it was worth it at the price. It's one of my favorite things that J.C. Ryle says in his book on holiness, where he says, the presence and company of Christ will make amends for all we suffer here below. When we see as we have been seen and look back on the journey of life, we shall wonder at our own faintness of heart. We shall marvel that we made so much of our cross and thought so little of our crown. We shall marvel that in counting the cost, we could ever doubt on which side the balance of profit lay. Let us take courage. We are not far from home. It may cost much to be a true Christian and a consistent holy person, but it pays. It may cost much, but it pays. Heaven will make amends for all. That's the wonderful truth of this. And so, what now for the people of God? Uh, what, what now for these people that have broken out in this great sin? They have to look to and rely on the covering Lord. Um, Moses said, I'm going to go back up to the Lord and I don't know what I can do. Uh, it's almost as if he says, you know, I bought you a stay of execution when I was up on the mountain. Um, But now I'm going to go back up and I don't know what's going to happen. I'm going to go up and see if I can find a way to make atonement. I'm going to go up and find a way if there's a way to cover this over, which is kind of what an atonement means. Is there a way for me to cover over this sin? And he expresses it in terms of, I'm not sure. I'm going to go see what I can do. If we had more time, we could get into it. But I've spent all my time, so I've got to wrap up. Um, But that's essentially, there's a measure of uncertainty in what he says. about I don't know how to make this right. This is a great sin. And I don't know how I'm going to go make this right. I'm going to go see if I can. I'm going to see if there's a way to cover this up. Um, Even when, when Moses prays to the Lord... Um, look, look what he says to God in verse 32. But now if you will forgive their sin. I can't finish the sentence. Right? Moses couldn't finish the sentence. If, if you will forgive their sins. I don't know what plea to make for them. But in his love for his people he says. But. 
If not, blot me out instead of blotting them out. It's a great thing he asks. It shows the love that, me, that Moses had for his people. I don't know there's a way to clear this, but if blotting me out will do it, please do it. And what, what is the important thing we learn here? He can't. He can't make this good by his blotting out. Um, the Lord says, no, who sinned will be blotted out. You can't cover the sin that way. And it reminds us that if there's a covering to be found, this, this, this chapter is left with that kind of unresolved. You can't do it. The plea for forgiveness, but no real basis on which to argue it. And the offer of blotting out and being told, you can't. Let me cover it. You can't cover it. What is all of this pointing us towards? The fact that there's only one who can cover sin. And it gives us a perfect picture of what the Lord Jesus Christ did with his death on the cross. Because he came and took our sins on himself and went to his father and said, by his cross, I know you can't forgive sinners. Sinners have to be blotted out for their sin. But out of my great love for your people and out of your great love for your people, blot me out instead of them. And he could do that because he was not a sinner. Moses is a sinner. He can't be blotted out for the people. And it's not Moses' sin, so he can't be blotted out. It's not his sin and he can't take it on. The Lord Jesus Christ comes as the only one who is not a sinner and can take it on can bear in his humanity by the power of his divinity our sin and receive the wrath of God and cover us. And that's what he has done by his cross. He who knew no sin was made sin for us, that in him we might be made the righteousness of God. He is the answer to this, the riddle Moses can't solve. How to save, how to find forgiveness, how to not have people not be blotted out without someone being blotted out. And that's what Jesus has done by his cross. And because he's done that, we have been covered by the Lord. We who believe in him do not need to fear the judgment of God. Fear there is a future day coming when God will blot us out because we've committed a great sin. We have. We deserve it, but we can avoid it because the Lord Jesus has come to blot out our sin and because we have a Father in heaven who loved us so much that he was willing to give up his son, knowing what his son would come to do, knowing what his son would have to pay. That's what the cross of Jesus Christ is, him being blotted out for us so that by his life we could find forgiveness of sins, and eternal life. Thanks be to God that that payment has been made. There's no future wrath to fear for those who put their trust in Christ. The sin for which we should have been blotted out, he has been blotted out. And the righteousness with which we should have lived, he has given to us. So we are no longer seen by our God as great sinners 
we are seen by our God as covered by a great Savior. The Father looks at us and sees Jesus. What a wonderful truth. That in Christ, he looks at us and sees us as if we had never sinned a great sin or been sinners. And just as if we had been as perfectly righteous as Christ was righteous for us. What a God who is willing to save sinners like us out of his free grace. May we all believe in the Lord Jesus Christ and find life in his name by believing. Amen. Let's pray together. Our Father in heaven, we have been reminded that we have sinned great sins. So often we don't think of our failures in worship as the the wickedness that it really represents, but you have shown us once again the seriousness of sin and the sufficiency of the Savior to save us from them. Thank you for the Lord Jesus Christ and for his death that blots out our sin, that he was willing to come and to be blotted out body and soul on the cross for us so that we might find life. Lord, may we not think there's any other way to be saved, any other way to avoid your judgment, but to find refuge in him. And may we know that if we put our faith and trust in him, we have found rest for our souls. We have found that one who has blotted out our sins and turns away your wrath, that we are covered by the blood of Christ. We thank you for him and accept our praise and our thanks, we pray, for we offer them in Jesus' precious name. Amen.